0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. In the first week, if you are here, you remember we did a, a little um, introduction to the book and uh, I told you that, that this church in Colossae was a little bit like our church because at this point when Paul writes to them, they're about 10 years old, just like we've been here <coughs> on this site for about just a little over, uh, nearly 11 years. And, um, and, and that Paul was writing to this church, not having ever been there. So he's writing to people that don't know him, that he's never met in person. He's not the one who started this church. Uh, it's, we're almost certain that it was a, a convert of his who heard him preach in Ephesus and then went back to his native hometown, Colossae, a guy named Epaphras. And he's a Colossian who took the good news back to... Colossae and started a church. And now, 10 years in, he has visited Paul while he's in prison, uh, likely in Rome, and told him about this church that he began and, and how they're going. And Paul's response to hearing that news is to write this letter to them. So he's writing to people who he's never met before in person. And the people receiving this letter are, are people who have never met Paul. They, I mean, they've probably heard about him. He, you know, he's the greatest missionary who's ever lived, and so it kind of it got around that, um, that he was the guy who was behind a lot of this church planting um, ministry, but they'd never met him in person. And so in the back of their minds, there is this kind of question, like, who is this guy who's writing to us so authoritatively? What, what's his deal? And he recognizes this, and so he, he gives them in this passage a little bit about himself. It's funny, I just remember when I was thinking about this fact that the people in Colossae had never met Paul. There was, there was a, a, an occasion a few years ago where um, you know we're so privileged to have people come to our church who aren't yet Christians, people who have not been to church before or not in a long time. And there was this one young lady who was here who ended up becoming a Christian and has since moved to another part of the state. But she was hearing me for the first time preaching and she kept hearing me say, like, you know, Paul says to do this and Paul wants us to do that. And she asked the guy who she came with after the sermon, who is this Paul guy? Like, is he on staff? He's, he seems to have a lot of authority in the church. <laughs> which, is good, which is good for us to know because people that's, that, that young lady isn't a moron, right? And she's not... Uh, unique in our culture around us. Not, I mean, people just aren't reading the Bible, you know. So talk about this guy, Paul, who is he? The Colossians aren't, probably not in that state, but they, they have not met him in person. They don't know exactly, you know, before the age of the internet, social media, 24-hour news cycle. <laughs> news doesn't travel very fast. And so there's a little bit of question probably in Paul's mind about whether these people are going to receive this in the spirit in which it's writ- written and with the authority with which it's written. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul this morning. Yes, his sufferings, but also his, his ministry. And I've got four points, and I'll start with M, all right? Don't... don't um... when, I, when I told the, the guys here this morning about that in our little prayer meeting, everyone groaned, and I felt a little bit... Kind of bummed, like, I, well, I got four points starting with M, and then I realized I hate it when speakers do that as well, so we can all hate that together. Um, forget the fact that they all start with M, all right. The, the point is that the, the content of this passage brings out um, something about Paul the man, something about his message, something about his mission. And something about this mystery that he refers to, right? So we're just going to work our way through those four things and just see what ha- God has for us. So first, a little bit about Paul the man. Remember, he's, he's sort of introducing himself to these people. And so you, you get that in the very first verse, all right? Going back a couple of weeks, he introduces himself as an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. And, and Timothy, our brother. Oh, Timothy taking down everything that Paul says as his secretary. And and, and so, Paul, that, that's, a, that's a first verse that we might brush over, but that, there's a whole lot in there about Paul that's really important for these guys to know and for us to know, that Paul is an apostle, that means a sent one, someone who has been commissioned, sent, uh, a missionary to the world around them. And so an apostle of Christ Jesus, he's not an apostle of Amway, right? He's an apostle of, What what, what is it now, Mary Kay? No, that's old as well. I don't know what's going around today, but he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's not selling anything. He is saving people through the message of the gospel, all right? And so he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and that's really important. When Paul comes up against opposition people who want to discount his authority to speak to the church, he reminds them that this this came about by God's will. And it's like the quintessential story of God imposing his will on someone. If you know Paul's uh, conversion story, Saul of Tarsus, right? On the road to Damascus, knocked off his donkey. Jesus invades his heart and turns it from being a, a a lover of persecution, the persecution of Christians, to their greatest ever missionary. You can read more about that in Acts chapter nine and twenty six. But essentially, the reason that Paul is in this position, writing to these churches, in fact, and indeed in prison for preaching the gospel and planting churches, all of that has come about by God's will. So he writes from in prison, chained up again because of God's will, as a servant of the Lord Jesus. And the thing about this, this situation that he's in, this suffering, right, it's not an isolated incident. If you've read through all that Paul's written, you'll, you can just pick up story after story of opposition and persecution and suffering. There's this one passage where he just kind of lays it all out there because, and in this situation, he's being opposed and there are these other people who call themselves not just apostles but super apostles, right? They're like the upgrade, the 2.0 on Paul, and they're, they're, they're in Corinth saying, you know, this guy Paul, he can't speak. He's not eloquent. He's not, you know, he's not impressive. He's, he, 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 you know, I don't know if we should be following him. Look at, look at who we've got. Right? Six foot four, booming voice, smart as a whip, super apostle. Who are you going to side with? And Paul's response is, is kind of funny and overwhelming in terms of his account of his suffering. So in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, he says, Are they those super apostles? Are they servants of Christ? I'm, I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. He says, I'm, I'm getting into their game of seeing who's better. Like a madman. I'm a better one. Listen, with far more labours, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. He goes on. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. (coughs) Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me my concern for all the churches. is so he lays before them this litany of his sufferings. Ever since he stepped away from this place of prominence as a persecutor of these Christians, he has endured suffering, like real, like real suffering. <coughs> Not like, oh, we ran out of milk, so I can't have a coffee this morning. Like real, <laughs> real suffering. I don't know what level of suffering you've experienced. Let's just take it away from suffering for being an apostle or a Christian, just suffering in general. I think what is evidently true is that how you interpret that suffering Mm -hmm. goes a long way to determine how you respond to the suffering, right? How do I interpret what's happening to me? Mm -hmm. This is how Paul interprets his suffering, as he writes, from prison. And not a good prison with foxtail and three square meals, like, like a hole in the ground, where if someone doesn't feed you, you starve. Right, That kind of prison. This is what he says from prison in verse 24 of chapter 1. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. For you. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. So there's a lot in that, right? But first and foremost, he's able to rejoice in his sufferings because they're for these people. Now just remember, he's never met these people. It's hard enough to like the people you know in church, right? Let alone that church down there who we're not really sure about, right? He so loves these people and is concerned for these people that he's able to rejoice in his sufferings for them. And he rejoices because he sees, he interprets his suffering as a participation in Christ's suffering. So that's what he says when he says that I'm I'm filling up, I'm filling up, or completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for His body. Here's what is he's obviously not saying. He's obviously not saying that Christ's afflictions, Christ's suffering, were in, were in some way deficient, right? I'm filling up what's lacking because he, he suffered 75% and I've got, to, I've got to complete the rest. He's not saying that because he said the opposite of that all through his letters, including this one. Right? He's always going on about the sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, finished. he was right. So what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Hmm. What's lacking is simply the experience of suffering that his body, Jesus' body, which is the church, would experience after his death and resurrection, right? So Jesus isn't suffering anymore. He is ascended, risen, reigning, never to experience suffering again. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions is the experience of suffering as the early church, Remember, the church is his body. So as the church suffers, it fills up what's lacking in Jesus' experience of suffering. I know that's a little bit hard to get our heads around, but that's what's going on. And that's, what, that's not just what's going on there, it's what's going on today. As more Christians around the world are persecuted today than at any other time in history, what they are doing is participating with Christ in suffering for him. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That's the church. His body is suffering. And so as it suffers, it participates in its suffering with him on his behalf. That's why he can (laughs) rejoice. That is not how I feel when it comes to suffering. Any kind of suffering. I don't know how many times I've rejoiced in suffering. But Paul's able to do it because of the way he interprets it and the effect it has and the ground it gains for the kingdom of God. So that's a little bit about him as, a, as the man. Now let's, let's talk about his message for a little bit. This is a, this is a two-fold message he makes really explicit here. But you'll see this pattern throughout his preaching, and I hope this pattern throughout the preaching that you hear in this church. This sort of twofold message. First, about the power of the cross and what it achieves, and then about the necessity of perseverance in faith. All right? Those two things are key. If you're not hearing that in this place with regularity, then you need to let us know. Maybe you need. A new pastor, all right, but let's see how he puts it together. All right, verse twenty-one and to twenty-two. He says, "This is this is the message, right? The message that he preaches. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he loves doing that, right? But now, most beautiful words in the." New Testament, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, right? That's the first part of his message, the power of the cross (coughs) to take people who hate God and turn them into God's children, (laughs) to take people who are alienated, right? Like, Like people who get divorced, they become alienated, Children get estranged from parents. Sometimes God help us church members do the same thing. Alienated from God and then through his death, he reconciles us. Through his physical body dying on a cross, he reconciles us to God. So we go going from, going from being estranged little kids, right, running away like the prodigal son, to being reconciled with the father running down the road to meet us embrace us put a robe on our back a ring on our finger throwing a party that reconciliation comes about by his death that's the sufficiency of his sufferings so it comes about by his death And then then he adds this really important part that we cannot afford to leave off. All right, so verse 23 follows directly on. If, so important here, but now, if indeed, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Say it again. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast (coughs) in the faith and are not shifted away from what? Away from the hope of the gospel you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Those two, that twofold message is the message that we need to hear over and over and over and over again. Whether you've been a Christian for a day or 60 years, you need to hear that over and over again. The power of the cross that reconciles you to God and the necessity of perseverance, (laughs) grounded and steadfast in the hope of the gospel. Perseverance is not what many of us treat it as, right? This sort of passive, God's just going to move me along through, you know, like the Pilgrim's Progress was just this like elevator that takes you up to the celestial city. Basically, between conversion and resurrection, it's just kind of checking watches. That is not the message that Paul is preaching. He preaches perseverance. That's active Right? It's an active striving after Jesus, remembering all the time that all of this comes about by God's grace. Grounded and steadfast. He wants us to remain rooted, established in the hope of the gospel. That little holiday we had recently, we went. The first week we went to uh, Renee's late father's farm in Bundaberg. He's got eight, He had. He's he's now departed, and the farm is on the market. Um, but it's eight hundred acres in in, uh, in a place called Mead, which I'm pretty small. is a ho- pretty sure, well. It's being advertised as a hobby farm, so I guess they do things differently up there, but, so 800 acre (laughs) hobby farm, and he's he, uh, he 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 was a contractor, he he built the western highway and the eastern freeway, anyway so he had all this, all this junk essentially on his farm, including excavators and stuff, and one of the projects that he did was build this enormous dam it's like, it's bigger than Lake Caroline and they call it the pond and, um and anyway, so we were out there and uh, I'd had enough of carrying stuff around and trying to avoid poisonous animals. And so I thought, we'll take a walk, take the dog for a walk. I took India and Judah. We went down to the pond and they hadn't had a much rain for a while, so half the pond is just kind of sludgy, marshy mud. And the thing about India is, there's a lot of things about India, mm-hmm. but one thing is that she is like... You know how magnets are attracted to each other she's a magnet for mud she is a mud loving mud slinging young lady and uh judah hates it he's the opposite magnet He just i do not want to get my, my my hands sticky like he's he's just he's not but she so here's what happened we we're by the side of this dam and we were uh just taking a look trying to see if we could see any fish and stuff And the dog had walked off, and then suddenly it started, like, I don't know, making uncomfortable noises. And I looked over, and he had been standing on this huge anthill. And so now he's just this poor dog is just covered in ants. They're spewing out of the ground like a volcano. And so I said, you guys stay here, because I don't want them covered in ants. You just just stay here. I know that we're right on the edge of this really deep dam, like metres and metres and metres down deep. So stay there. Remain steadfast. You know where I'm going with this? And I went over and got the dog and just picked it up and threw him in the dam. Which was all I could think of at the time, right? Try and get the answer. That had to take maybe thirty seconds and then a bit of like wiping them off me, and then I look back and India is thigh deep in the mud, just glorying in it. Just this And also panicking a little bit because you can't move at all, as you know if you've ever been. I think the truth that Paul's getting at here is that we're no different to her, really. We're prone to wander, right? Prone to leave the God we love. Prone to jump in the mud instead of staying steadfast on the unshakable, firm foundation of the gospel. We just are damn it, we just need to admit it. We just are. That's who we are. And he's going to say in the next chapter, the first couple of verses, he's going to tell them he knows that there is an attractive big mud pit that they all want to get into. He knows, Epaphras has told him, that there is this very alluring teaching that is gathering and gaining ground in Colossae. And it's tempting Christians off the solid foundation of the gospel, tempting them to jump into the mud. And so he says, This great salvation is contingent on you remaining grounded and steadfast in the faith, not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That's his message. Let's take a look at his mission. All right, it's just a reflection of that message. You can see it again. It's twofold. It, again, it's about the power of the cross and 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 the um, the plan of God to persevere people into maturity in Christ. All right, check it out. It says it's it's in verse twenty-five to twenty-seven. This is the 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 cross bit he says, "I've become its servant, that servant of the gospel, according to God's commission, right? That's God calling him uh, to be an apostle. That was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the gospel, right? His mission is to make the word of God fully known. That is, everything that God has made known about himself, he wants everyone to know about it. He wants this mystery that was for so long hidden, this mystery of Jesus being Lord and savior of Jews and Gentiles he wants that mystery that grand plan of salvation from God for all eternity he wants that to be made known that's his mission and the second part of it right to do with maturity verse 28 and 29 just just listen to his heart here he says we proclaim him Jesus warning and teaching Everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the perseverance bit. I labor for this, striving with his strength that he works powerfully in me. That's beautiful. Just hear his heart. This is why he's pouring himself out. This is why he's in prison. This is why they beat him and throw him out of the city and he just turns around and walks back in. This is why he rejoices in his sufferings because he can see this, the greatest of all missions, coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we, I think we need to, or maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing it's you as well, the thing we need to hear him say is about the power, the strength, Right? Where does it come from? Where does the power come from? To take up the mission and then to keep going through suffering and to rejoice in sufferings and to keep going when people disappoint you or when people abandon you or when people who are on your roster don't turn up on Sunday morning. Right? What is the thing that keeps him going? What's the thing that keeps us going? Jesus strength I labour for this striving with his strength that works powerfully in me so working Jesus strength is not just sitting down and going Jesus take the wheel right just you do the things and we'll watch no it's his strength powerfully at work in me that's why he labours and strives it's that analogy we talk about sometimes, the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. Right, The rowboat thing is when we're doing it, the our strength ministry, mission. The sailboat thing is when Jesus' strength is powering the boat. And do we still have a role? Absolutely. You see those guys who sail boats? They're working pretty hard. I don't know what they're doing, but they're pulling ropes and... Leaning over the edge and, I don't know. <laughs> the man, message, mission, mystery. the mm. Mystery. It's interesting that Paul uses this word mystery. He uses it a few times in this passage and I've picked up on it. I think it's because of that. Remember that thing that I was telling you about? We'll get into this in the next couple of weeks. But there's this thing going on in Colossae where there are, there's one main sort of guru teacher and then this, this sort of movement of teachers who have come into the church in Colossae and said, that whole gospel thing that Paul told you about or that Epaphras got off Paul, not quite right. There are aspects of that which are good. There are aspects of... of uh, Hebrew worship, which are good. There are aspects of our pagan heritage, which are good. And so we sort of need to have this melting pot religion where we draw in different aspects of, of, of different faiths. And really, all roads lead to Rome, you know? So we can, we can sort of do this mix and match thing. It's like this this pagan cult folk religion. And it's getting big in Colossae. And the thing that they talk about very often is the, is the fact that you know, religion and God or the gods or the mother God or whatever, whatever you choose to identify her or him. Or the, it's a mystery. Paul's really, you know, he's really black and white. He's like, this is the truth. Well, we believe that it's more of a mystery. And so I think he's using their own words against them. He says, yeah, there is a mystery. It's the greatest mystery ever. But it's not a mystery anymore. This mystery has been revealed, he says, right? So remember verse 27? He says, uh, God wanted to make known, right, to reveal among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That mystery is not an unknowable mystery. It was mysterious in the past when you heard the prophets talking about the one who was to come and God's work in salvation. We weren't really sure exactly what he's talking about. That was then. This is now. The mystery has been made known. I'm not saying there aren't mystical aspects to Christianity and things that are hard to understand. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the gospel is plain and the gospel is simple. And Paul wants them to know it and to stand on it and to not move from it. Check out verse 1 to 3. He says uh, of chapter 2, I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged And join together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. That's the mystery. It's Christ. In days gone by, God himself was kind of mysterious. We couldn't know him as much as we'd want to know him. Well, God has made himself known in Christ. God's plan has been made known, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's an alluring thing to pursue mysteries and mystical experiences. It allures us, I think, because it enables us to say, I know something that you can't know. That's what was driving a lot of the Gnosticism of the first century. There is this special knowledge that regular people can't get, but I've got it. It's what drives self, the self-help billion dollar industry right i've got some secrets that you need to know paul knows that it's an alluring thing for those people then for us today and so he says stand firm the mystery has been made known you know it so embrace it live in it walk in it it's the hope of glory And he says, last verse, he says, In him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All that stuff that those teachers are trying to bring you in with, all this mysterious knowledge that only they have, all of that, all knowledge, all wisdom, anything that's worth knowing, is in Jesus. And because of the gospel, you are in him as well. So I had this conversation with this lady, yeah, really young lady. I was really impressed by her, her wit, her intelligence. But she was telling me that she, was, she identified now, not as a Christian, but as a, as a deconstructionist. And she said she had decided that she needed to deconstruct all that she had been taught by authority. So anything she had learned from authority, which I imagine would be everything, but everything she had learned from authority, she had to deconstruct it and then find the truth within herself. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, it's a very, very popular movement in Christianity today, deconstructionist movement. We can't trust... Like what we've been taught, it was taught to us by the patriarchy, and that is oppressive... We can't trust it. Authority always lies. Authority is about power. And so we need to deconstruct what they've taught us and and instead go within ourselves. We need to find the truth within us. Paul says that mystery that you're seeking after has been made known and it's not in you, it's in Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know about you, but if I plumb too far into the depths of myself looking for truth, I'm not going to find much. There isn't a whole lot in there that's worth hanging on to. Certainly nothing I would describe as treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'd like to think there are, but there aren't. And the spoiler alert is that there isn't much in you either that could be described as treasure, wisdom and Knowledge. But Paul says, thanks be to God, all of that has been revealed, all of that is made available to us, not in ourselves, but in Christ. So that's a little foray into next week, where Duke is going to open up for us the next passage, where we're going to learn a little bit more about this movement within Colossae that was drawing people away from the gospel. And and it mirrors very much, I think, a movement in Christianity today which is drawing people away from the gospel as well. And so, this is good stuff to get our heads around. And it's good stuff that we, a good opportunity for us to enable God to just re establish us on the firm foundation of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time together again. Thank you for an opportunity to gather together with your people, Lord. We're gathered together to praise you for revealing this mystery to us. Please establish us as your people in the hope of the gospel. The mystery revealed to us, Jesus, the hope of glory. I pray in his good name. Amen.